the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. The middle class has to, has to be decimated because of a lockdown. Everyone I know who is in favor of a lockdown has a job or ha- is already rich. Isn't that interesting? But, of course, they're the, they're the people for the little guy. The little guy works at a restaurant. So, uh, you know, you can eat on an airplane two inches from people, but you can't eat at a restaurant. Can't even eat outdoors in L.A. County. We're told that the hospitals are overflowing. So let me go to Houston. Doctor that I have talked to when the, we were last told that the hospitals were overflowing, especially in Houston, Dr. Bo Breeze, who is an emergency room physician in Houston. Dr. Breeze, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Dennis. Good morning. That, let's see, is it morning by you? Yes, it is. Good morning to you. It is. Thank and you. Good morning to most of your listeners. <clears throat> most I, I, that's that's correct anyway it's a yeah. pleasure to, it's a pleasure to have you on so uh what is the story uh if you're you have a you're in a major hospital in houston uh would you I rather mean, it not be named or do you want to name it or what you can name it i don't speak for the hospital i speak for myself but i, I work at houston methodist okay great and and and, and I want to make clear, of course he doesn't speak for the hospital. He is one doctor, but I want you to know at what a major hospital he is. That's the only reason I even raised that issue. Okay, so what are you seeing? We are in the third peak uh, that, I, that I spoke about coming, uh, which would happen after we open schools. It's, it's coming as predicted. Uh, it looks like it's a very similar peak to the one that we had in the summer. And we have far more capacity uh, than we need to deal with anything that might happen. Uh, I've definitely seen more coronaviruses in the past few days, uh, past few weeks. Uh, right now, to give you a sense of how we're doing in the whole Texas Medical Center, which is the big medical center in Houston that takes care of southeast Texas and, and is the sort of surge area for a lot of Texas, we have uh, more ICU beds today than we did yesterday. We're at 88% capacity uh, filled in our current configuration. Normally, we run at 97% in most years. So we've actually been low this year, uh, most of the year, uh, because we've had so much less volume in the hospitals. And uh, versus our surge capacity plan, we're only running at about a little, a little more than 50% of our surge capacity plan, which we can implement within hours to increase our capacity uh, in the ICUs. Oh, so, you, so that's interesting. I was always wondering about that, Doctor. The you you can under emergency conditions increase ICU capacity. Yes, if you have the equipment and personnel reserved and able to swap what they're doing, you can do so uh-huh. as well as the space. And we've had it was it was tight in March and April to do such a thing, but 
but we've been prepared. I mean, this is our job, right? We're, you're supposed to be able to trust us to be able to get the resources and organization together to manage um, situations that arise like this, and we have the flexible capacity to do so. The people coming in, we're, I keep reading more hospitalizations than ever, double the number of hospitalizations. How long is someone on average hospitalized with COVID? So there's there's kind of, I think the best way to look at it is that there are two groups of people coming in that are getting hospitalized. There, there are people that are going to do well and they're going to survive the illness, um, but they, they need oxygen uh, at home because their oxygen levels drop uh, and otherwise they're okay. And so they'll come into the hospital for maybe a day, get set up with home health oxygen, and then they go home with oxygen, and then they survive the worst part of their illness and, and um, don't have to be hospitalized again. And then there are people that are in the hospital for a week um, to two and a half weeks, um, generally more like week, week and a half. And those are, those are a different cohort of people with more comorbidities that are more ill um, that are heading toward the ICU. And are, so compared to the worst in, I don't know, March, April, how, how does it look now? Oh, it's much better. So I mean, so we're seeing a, a big surge in cases, but the, the cases that are, that are coming through are uh, much less ill. Only about, in, in the, the area that I'm in, only about uh, 13% of the cases that are being diagnosed um, are... Um, being hot, requiring any hospitalization. Uh, and uh, the vast majority of people that come into the hospital that see in the emergency department are people that I send home uh, because they are so, uh, they, they, have, they just have symptoms that need a, a few medications to feel better and they're able to go back. The ICU is 88 or 80, 88% full, I think you said. And last in the, year... In the medical center, in the big medical center in Houston, which includes all the main hospitals in the medical center. And last year was at 97, so it's actually less full this year. Generally. Well, this has been the slowest year of my career, Dennis. I've seen fewer patients this year than any year of my career. And if you ask almost every emergency physician, they'll tell you the same thing. So let me ask you a personal question. When you hear and read, which is stated daily on every regular medium in America, that the hospitals uh, are overflowing... Uh, with COVID patients, do you then have a scotch on the rocks? What do you do? <laughs> you mean so I can cry over it? The, <laughs> so, you can, so, you, so, you, <laughs> so you could. <laughs> I take my scotch mito, Dennis, not on the rocks. I like the. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> I, I, the cognitive dissonance that a doctor like you must have is is got to be. Uh, somewhat, uh, it has to have some effect. Well, and as, as a scientist, if I, if I may be so bold, I mean, so much, so much in this year from supposed experts has been so unbelievably inaccurate and unfathomably unscientific in approach. You know, as scientists, what we seek to do is get as much information as we can about a problem, lay it all on the table, discuss our opinions with respect, and then everyone can come to their own conclusions. Right. We, what we don't do is do things like the with the Johns Hopkins study by Genevieve Bryant that recently came out. And once the information is out there that the mortality rate overall in the U.S. for all deaths 
is about the same this year as last year, immediately suppress the study, remove it from the website, and only be able to find it on web archives that the information was there. I mean, that, that's ridiculous. We should be exploring why data doesn't conform with our expectations and that we're not doing so. A lot of people who are getting on CNN and large outlets to, to push for more lockdowns and to push for ineffective mask policies instead of effective mask policies, uh, they think that they're getting additional power. But I think in the end, what they're doing is they're losing the power and credibility to deal with a much worse pandemic, which could occur in the future. I mean, the experts have lost so much credibility this year, and for good reason. People do think for themselves in America, thank God. And they've noticed that they've made predictions that weren't consistent and didn't come true, like Fauci in January, where he said it's not a big deal, and then all of a sudden the death rate's going to be 2 or 3%, and then instead the death rate turns out to be maybe 0.2 or 0.3%. And, and then, um, you know, when we, we end up doing these big policies and finding they don't make a big difference, there's, there's this wonderful study that came out from Denmark recently called the Dan Mask Study. And they t- took thousands of people in a population that's very compliant, and uh, half of them got surgical masks and half of them did not get surgical masks. And they went and they looked over a period of weeks to months to see what percentage of them picked up coronavirus. And there was no difference between the two groups. And that was surgical and masks. Those were surgical masks. Those are better than the typical cloth masks that you're seeing. And, and there was good adherence to the masks between the two groups, uh, speaking very generally. And the reason for that is because the virus is smaller than the holes in the masks. And because the masks don't provide a good enough fit. N95s, well-fitted, they work great. The positive pressure mask I wear at work works excellent. It will prevent you from getting coronavirus. But, but you know, instead of pushing for better quality masks that people can wear that would be effective, they, they, they think so condescendingly of the public that they tell them lies about what will be effective and then oppress them for saying otherwise. For example, the CEO of Sanford Health, Kelby uh, Krabenhoff, uh, he got coronavirus and then months later decided to stop wearing a mask because, as, as, as we know, he is almost certainly immune. It's extremely unusual. It, it happens, but it's extremely unusual to get the virus twice. So he wasn't wearing a mask. He was confronted with this and said, hey, look, scientifically, once you've had the disease, you're no longer susceptible to it. And he was fired as the CEO of this health system in, in, I think, South Dakota. This is not what advances science, is oppressing. It's an amazing opposite. story, amazing story. <laughs> if, if, if you have to wear a mask after having had COVID, then we'll have to ha- wear masks after being vaccinated. Ah, and there is the rub, Right. There is the rub. What is the point of the policy? If the point of the policy is reducing death and and improving people's lives uh, in such a way that, that, that we don't have to worry about the fear and, and can live well, then we should be able to open the economy again. We should be able to send our kids to school again. We should be able to eat at a restaurant again. But it's not. Uh, the point seems very much to be about suppressing the West because the East the, the suppressive East, China specifically, Russia to some extent, they are not doing these things. They're moving forward at full steam, advancing advancing their cause. And it's very disturbing. I mean, they believe in taking away your freedom while making those sacrifices themselves. They send their own children to private schools for in-person learning while your public schools are closed down. 
you, President Clinton and Bush went to the funeral of Democratic Congressman John Lewis without significant social distancing, while you can't go to a funeral for your father, right? Uh, Newsom, the governor of California and the CEO of the CMA, Dustin Corcoran, whom I actually know, were eating at the finest restaurant, arguably, in California without masks while telling you that you can't, you can't go to dinner with your wife on a date. You know, I'll, like Glenn Reynolds says, I'll start believing it's a crisis when they act like it's a crisis. But the, the point is that it, what it really seems to be is that it, it's taught me as a doctor that the left wants there to be two classes, a privileged class with freedom to do whatever they want and a lower class that the upper class uses to pay indulgences for their freedom by forcing them to do rules they would never follow themselves. You know, they and you can tell they enjoy the cruelty of it. They're bullies. So people shouldn't give in. I tell you, I can't get over the story. I, I didn't know it. The, no. the, the man got COVID, so he said, I don't have to wear a mask. This is South Dakota, no less. What group fired him? What was the group? Stanford Health. He ran the healthcare system. He waited a long period of time. COVID's generally a three-week illness. He waited, I think, months after he clearly no longer had the illness before stopping wearing a mask. But they fired him because he wasn't wearing a mask because they said it sent the wrong message. I don't know how that sent the wrong message. When you've already had coronavirus, I think it sends a message that you follow science. Do you have any thoughts on the vaccine? Yes. Uh, I think there's two categories of vaccination. You know, the the flu vaccine, it, you know, has variable effects every year, right? Sometimes it's really effective. Sometimes it's not very effective. And then there's all those vaccines that you get as a kid that are great. You know, you take them over a series of time when you're a child and you're immune for the rest of your life. The new vaccines that are coming out are really, really good. It looks like the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine look like they're outstandingly effective. And uh, I'm going to get vaccinated, I think, later this month um, is what I'm told. Uh, So I think that people should go out and get the vaccination. And I think we should thank our lucky stars that we had, if I may be so bold, had the president we had to get rid of all the regulations to enable this vaccination to come out five times faster faster than any vaccine uh, in the history of vaccination. It's really astonishing. The president's work was great. The policy work was outstanding. And, of course, the scientists that worked so hard to create this vaccine and tried out a number of others that didn't work out are heroes. So I have one question on that, and you know far more, so I obviously I want to ask you. the uh, It's called a, 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 an RNA or mRNA uh, vaccine. It, it's the first to have something to do with our DNA. Does that in any way uh, frighten you? You know, it with any drug um you know you're concerned is one of the first people who's going to get it about um side effects but i'm not too concerned about this technology um you know a lot of it had to do with the development of the vaccination being one that was more targeted to the exact structure of the the disease the exact structure of the virus right so i have great confidence in it because of that i'm not worried about how it was developed that way no Okay. And I'm willing to take the risk on myself. Obviously. I'm going to take the vaccination and see how it well, goes. Well, listen, I just want to reaffirm to everybody that the Dr. Breeze is telling us, again, they actually have fewer ICU patients uh, than they did last year. I thank you for your time. Your patients are lucky to have you. Thank you, Dennis, for all you do. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. 
Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Albert Moeller for townhall.com. The Supreme Court's recent ruling on religious liberty was a flashpoint, revealing much about our cultural moment. A large number of leading voices on the left have condemned the ruling, but liberals in the United States used to defend the First Amendment and religious liberty. Why not so much now? The short answer is the LGBTQ revolution. And it comes down to this. None of the rights related to the sexual revolution are enumerated. That is explicitly guaranteed in the Constitution. Religious liberty, you know, it is. And the Supreme Court has sent a signal that it's not going to just willingly go along with the moral revolutionaries. The court has not reversed the revolution, but it has at least put itself in the way. And to its credit, it has at least said so, and said so boldly. Religious liberty is right there in the Constitution. It's in the text. Deal with it. I'm Albert Moeller. The Pepperdine School of Public Policy, America's unique graduate program for leaders. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu.